0: And Welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini episode 73.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episodes. Now I hope that you had a fun time with Ray Stekanis from Who Would Win and knowing is half the podcast joining us. Man, I knew he was going to have some opinions, that's what I count on the most from our guests and he certainly made them known. Now here's the thing, maybe you were able to put the puzzle pieces together, but this was kind of a shock to me so the week the episode came out i listened to the new episode of knowing is half the podcast and originally we were trying to get ray his co-host chan and gina to all join us but just because of work commitments they weren't able to hop on but chan calls out ray in their episode saying specifically this from a guy who never read an issue of wizard magazine in his life (laughs) And so he totally outed Ray on their podcast the week he was a guest on ours, which is fine. He read some comics, which is really the prerequisite for being on the show. But here's hoping that down the line, we get Chan and Gina to join us, or James, who we also know is a big comic book reader, from Who Would Win. So if you're a fan of either of those podcasts and also happen to listen to ours, hey, let them know you'd love to hear them joining us here on the podcast. That would be a major win for us. And speaking of winning, it's time to get into Caps Cookie Contests. Alright, now our first one here, you know, all throughout the month of April, we were talking the Spawn movie, whether it was our Spawn movie merchandise special, whether it was on 90s Super Cinema as part of our Heroes in Motion Patreon tier, which was a great conversation between Michael, Pete, and myself. But wouldn't you know it, The first contest in this issue is the Spawn Mega Movie Giveaway, it says Newline Cinema's Spawn movie will be burning up the silver screen this summer. In order to celebrate the movie madness, Newline Cinema... Todd McFarlane Productions and Immortal Records have joined forces to create this ultimate Spawn Movie giveaway. This contest is determined by random entry Spawnoids and that means everyone has an equal chance of winning. So fill out your entry form and mail it in quickly to win these fantastic Spawn Movie prizes. Grand prize. One lucky winner will receive an official and authentic prop from the New Line Cinema movie, the Spawn Shovel. Plus he'll win a complete set of Spawn Movie action figures. That's six figures from McFarlane toys, a Spawn movie soundtrack from Immortal Records, and a Spawn movie one-sheet poster. First prize, 50 lucky winners will each receive a cooler-than-beans Spawn soundtrack from Immortal Records. So it does say here, Spawn the album, featuring duets by Filter and Crystal Method, Chord and the Dust Brothers, Marilyn Manson and Sneaker Pips, Henry Rollins and Goldie, and more! And finally, second prize, 100 lucky winners will each receive a Spawn movie one-sheet poster. This is kind of cool, because this shovel, if you recall, when Spawn goes to the graveyard, he doesn't really believe what the clown is telling him, right, that he actually died. He makes a shovel materialize that is made out of, like, a leg bone, I guess, is what it looks like. Femur and knee joint and all that stuff together. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of strapped to a shovel piece that might, I don't know what it's supposed to be made out of. Is it stone? Is it metal? But either way, it's really cool looking here, because they show it. So, we had our guest on the movie merchandise spotlight tie from the uh, spawn hunter archive there he actually had a piece of the fence that's right a piece of the fence from the movie and imagine if he got this shovel too I'd love to know where it ended up alright it says here this month's contest is sponsored by New Line Cinema Todd McFarlane Productions and Immortal Records no joke but let's dig through the legal text and see if we can unearth some comedy huh see what I did there Oh, Anyway, here we go. Hmm, okay, nothing in the normal spot. Now let's look down a little bit farther. And nothing at all. Oh, you have no sense of humor, Todd. Or was it New Line Cinema? Hard to say. Oh, well, still a cool contest. And let's get on to the next one here. Tying into the cover, we have the Sid City Dead on Arrival Contest. So, it says, Sid City, a nice place to die, but you wouldn't want to live there. Hmm, not exactly the place for a quiet, peaceful vacation, is it? Well... Guess what? You went there for a vacation and consequently, there's some good news and some bad news. The bad news, you are expecting a nice little vacation, but you wound up dead instead. The good news, you could walk away with some exciting prizes. What to do? Sin City's medical examiner is a busy, busy man, so give him a hand by filling out your very own DOA, dead on arrival tag, provided below. The most original cause of death could win you these deadly prizes. Grand prize, one lucky victim will win a prototype bust of City. Sin City's very own Marv. This bust will be hand-painted and signed by sculptor Randy Bowen and additionally signed by Sin City creator Frank Miller. Plus, you also receive a Sin City three-sheet poster, good for any wall, and a copy of Sin City Family Values. It's Sin City or bust! get it? Second prize. Ten second prize victims will win one Sin City three sheet poster and a copy of Sin City Family Values. They're prizes to die for. This month's contest is sponsored by Dark Horse and Bowen Designs, a fun group of yahoos. So they do have it here. It's interesting because it says it's provided below, but it's really not that big. I guess you would say you gotta take a photocopy and enlarge it maybe to make it work, but it's, it's got everything you need there. What day you died on, your age, the street address where your body was found, whether it was, you know, morning or night, cause of death and then who the presiding coroner was. So that's another interesting thing. Do you get to choose who the coroner is in your case of death? I don't know. Now let's get into the sinful legalese. And luckily we do have a joke here. Frank Miller, despite what he had to say about Wizard later on, did have a sense of humor, apparently. So, contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Dark Horse, their immediate families, and whoever brought... Electra back to life. Ooh, Frank Miller must think you're Mr. Poopy Pants. <laughs> next one here. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are not transferable. Man, we can't get enough of Miller drawn naked chicks with Venetian blind shadows on their bodies. Mm-mm. <laughs> now, the funny thing is about our next contest here, it actually somewhat plays into a similar theme because the Choose Resurrection Man's Next Power contest is coming at you from. DC Comics. If you've been listening to the podcast, you know how much I love Resurrection Man. In fact, I've been trying to get Michael to read Resurrection Man for quite a while. He's been very busy. Hopefully we could get around to doing a review on a mini episode. I know you read the first issue, but I want him to get like the first five in because that's the main story. And I totally forgot that this contest existed or I would have entered it back in the day. Here's what it says. DC's Resurrection Man has to have the coolest superpower on Earth going for him. Every time the guy dies, we which is quite a bit, believe us. He's reborn with a brand new power. Kind of makes it a wee bit difficult for those villains to beat him, huh? Here's how this contest works. We want you to come up with the coolest superpower that Resurrection Man could possess. Super strength, fire breath, the ability to turn water into mellow yellow, whatever. The most creative of all superpowers will win the grand prize. One lucky reader will win an original Butch Geist drawing, showing Resurrection Man using the power that the winner has chosen. Plus, he'll also walk away with an autographed original story script, signed by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and an autographed copy of Resurrection Man Number 1, signed by Abnett, Lanning, and Geis. Resurrect me, baby! First prize, five other lucky readers will win an autographed original story script signed by Abnett and Lanning, and an autographed copy of Resurrection Man Number 1, signed by Abnett, Lanning, and Geiss. Not too shabby. Second prize, ten other schlubs will receive an autographed copy of Resurrection Man Number 1, signed by Abnett, Lanning, and Geis. Man, I would have been happy to win any of those. I still want to beat those guys someday to say, I love so much what you did. Can we bring it back, but not the way you did in the new 52? I still think it would make a great HBO Max series. You might be wondering what power I would choose. Well, if I was Mitch Shelley being reborn, given the gift of being able to edit a podcast in a snap, which is to say, take out the ums, ahs, the uh, turns of phrase that don't quite work out the way you plan them. You know, I do a lot of editing on the podcast, which is why Joining our Patreon is quite unique because you really get a new perspective on the show. We streamline it for all you main feed listeners out there. All right, but let's get into the born-again lawyers legal text here. It says, Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, DC Comics, their immediate families, and Shirley McLean. You nuts, lady. <laughs> Hey, sure she was new agey, but she was great in the apartment. You guys ever seen that Jack Lemmon movie? It's pretty great. All right, next one here. No cash equivalent or substitute prizes will be offered. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are non-transferable. Beware the trouser fajita. Trouser fajita. What was that other one on the gunsmith cats contest a few episodes back? Something like, wasn't it like trouser beans or something? I don't know. Lots of trouser talk over at Wizard. And speaking of those wacky... Hacky wizard staffers, as we close out Cap's cookie contest, we have to give the results of the first annual Wizard Staff Scavenger Hunt. Every year they would do the scavenger hunt for the readers, but they also like to do it in the office, and I know when we had like Doug Goldstein and a couple other people on, they've talked about the wackiness they got onto here, so let's hear about this report. The first annual Wizard Staff Scavenger Hunt started at 9am one sunny Thursday morning, as the entire Wizard Press bullpen, Wizard, Wizard Specials, InQuest, and Toy Fair broke down into teams of four, each with their own code names like Alpha, Bravo, Bravo, Tango, Bravo. The the danger rangers and the kung fu fighters each team received a box containing a list of wacky items to get including a victoria's secret store gift certificate for a dollar 43 a photo of a teammate behind a fast food counter wearing the drive-thru headset and a quarter from 1975 which hey fun fact doesn't exist Miscellaneous items that needed to be identified like play pieces from board games and bizarre novelty items riddles that needed to be solved and a polaroid camera for the teams to take Ted's special photos, including one that turned out to be highly chaotic, injury-inducing, a shot of the opposing team. After seven hours of search-and-destroy driving, the team that scored a whopping 392 points, 23 points higher than the second-place team, and took home the prize, each member received primo reserve parking for a month and additional paid vacation day, and dinner for two at a ritzy Japanese hibachi steakhouse was the Kung Fu Fighters, comprised of Wizard Assistant Editor Andrew Cardin, administrator Administrative Assistant Jennifer Cavallo, InQuest Editor Mike Searle, and lucky new intern guy Mark Aronowitz. Aronowitz? Anyway, quote, I couldn't believe how willing people were to give us free stuff, commented unofficial kung fu spokesman Cardin. Even though we got kicked out of a law firm, almost got a cop fired by convincing him to let us photograph him, and had to turn our clothes backwards, including our underwear. Ouch. It was actually a pretty fun day. And hey, no one got arrested. You love to hear it, don't you? They made time. Time for fun in the magazine for all of us reading and some fun for themselves. So there it is. Got some vacation days and a, a nice dinner out. That does it for Caps Kookie Contests in this issue, but we gotta talk about some 90s comics, so it's time for Robin's Reading Rainbow. Robin, Robin. So here's the deal. We sparked a bit of controversy uh, with our last episode when we were talking about the article spotlighting Box Office Poison. Box Office Poison, this indie black and white comic book touted as real world comics by a guy named Alex Robinson. And the wizard staff seemed to love this. In fact, it was something that after we posted about it, people came out and drove saying, this is a great series. My comic book shop guy recommended it to me. I loved it back then. I read it every year. Or I checked up on it 20 years later. It's still great. Andrew Carden, former Wizard staffer, even said he considers it like top five indie comic books of all time. And it's one of those things where Ray and I were a little rough on this, okay? Yes, we hadn't heard of it. Somebody called me out and said, just because you'd never heard of it doesn't mean it's not good. Well, that wasn't our point. What our point was how Wizard was choosing to represent it because they're trying to tell us that there's just all these like, you know, long long love scenes with full nudity. It's about, you know, these guys who are, you know, want to be this and want to be that and they're frustrated in life. It didn't appeal to me so with everybody telling me how great it was, I said, "Okay, I'm going to go find it. It's on Comixology. I'm going to read it." So I start reading it and it's what I expected. It's a story about 20-somethings in New York just living their lives, going to work, getting a new apartment, meeting girls to date. I mean, what is this? Ha 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 It's not bad. It's well-written. The characters are actually likable in terms of nobody is too snarky. Nobody is too clever for their own good. Nobody is, you know, inherently evil. Everybody's just dealing with their own things, right? And I get if you were a 20-something college student at this time, you would say, this is my life. You know, you would say, this is something that appeals to me because, hey, they're talking about all my same frustrations. You know, I hate my boss. I hate the customers at my retail job because they're so annoying to the point where they actually do that, you know, that whole thing, the running gag and clerks where they can't remember the name of the movie. People keep coming into the video store trying to give terrible descriptions. Robinson just uses that, but in a bookstore setting, you know, so, so it's not that unique or clever. But I, I, again, I can understand maybe at the time, but I look at it and I say, you know what? They're ta- calling this real world comics. I live in the real world. I could talk to anybody at a bus stop. You know, I could talk to somebody at a store to strike up a conversation and they would tell me everything that these people in the comic are living, right? They could tell me, oh, I hate my job. It's terrible. met this girl. I want to date her. Whatever the case may be, it's one of those things where I just said, small talk is not necessarily for me. I'll Figured out real quick. If somebody's whole life is, well, I work. I like to watch sports on Sundays. Just, I need people that are, like, over-the-top fanatics. I need people that are just quirky and weird and interesting in life, because there's so many run-of-the-mill people, and that is what is in this book. All these characters are kind of -of run-of-the-mill, average people. Why would I want to read about that? Comic books are my escape. Comic books are my opportunity to have a little extra fun I can't get anywhere else. I can't get from my neighbor, you know, after I'm mowing the lawn and he comes out and says hello and I hear about his life, and I'm like, yes. I'm not saying that people are terrible. I'm just saying I like interesting things. I don't like run of the mill things, which there's plenty of in the world. I certainly don't want it in my comics. So for all of you who loved it, more power to you. I gave it a chance. It's just 100% not for me. Now, the one thing that was pointed out as being of interest was the fact that Ed, who is this aspiring, comic book artist does get to be an assistant for a somebody called a jack kirby-esque old-timer comic book guy who teaches him lessons about the industry who's frustrated at the way he was treated and all those types of things and so for a comic book fan who knows their history i'm sure there is some appeal there but not so much for me that's what i found in box office poison in between some people finding happiness in their relationships which we all want in life which is great i just again i need some biff bang pow in between the character stories the building of emotion and relationships fair enough i just wanted to give box office poison a fair shake if i'm gonna make a criticism i want to be able to back it up so there you go now in the realm of superhero comics, or more traditional action-adventure comics, I did also recently read Divine Right. I read the first five issues of that comic. I was excited to find him in a back issue bin recently for cheap, because after we did our Jim Lee tribute special, it was so heavily praised by our guest, the Wildstorm fanatic Christopher, who even had an original sketch of the Christy Blaze character from Jim Lee. So, I finally read it. And you know what? It's fun. It is a fun comic. Now, the basic premise of this book, it's something I criticized on the Top Cow special when we covered that. There's these kind of ancient warring factions, and there is this power that is called the creation equation that's kind of this nebulous, you know, all-powerful force that is absorbed accidentally over the internet by this guy named Max Faraday, who is basically a 20-something computer nerd who delivers... Pizzas goes to college, has a buddy named Dev, and has a cute sister named Jenny. Plus, he's got an online girlfriend that he's never met, which was really—I don't know—want to say it was trendy at the time, but it was like a new novel idea. Like I had a friend in high school that, right after he graduated, he got involved with this girl online. Then he moved to Florida to live with her for like a year before they broke up, which I thought was kind of an interesting life choice at that time. I was like, it was so. You just met online. You did that, so it was pretty novel. Now, uh, as far as what's going on here, there's like this group that wants to have the creation equation for themselves, and so they're the bad guys. I think they're called the Wrath or something like that. Here's what I'll say: the the, the villains in the book don't really stand out to me very much. Like, there's these kind of demonoid creatures that are like hellhound type things that end up chasing him at one point, and then there's some bigger muscular guys. Like, but the main cast are great and. Granted, they're somewhat average, I just ranted against average things in my comics, but at least there's like superpowers, there are people in costumes, there are bad guys that you're fighting, you know, there's something fantastical and out of the ordinary going on. What got my attention here that was a little bit of a subversion of the trope I felt was the relationship that Max has with his sister Jenny. What do you normally get in comics? Everybody wanted to be snarky or, you know, making quips like Spider-Man and they're all jokey. Now, Dev and Max do have some banter back and forth, but with Jenny, they say that their parents died and Jenny raised him. So he actually loves her. She loves him. They're really nice to each other. They trust each other. It's that kind of thing. Dev has... Has the hots for Jenny, of course, plus she's ex national guard, so she actually has some military training to go there. Then added to the mix is Christy Blaze you know, a tough as nails military mercenary, whatever she is. But she really reminds me of Ballistic from the Top Cow comics, like the one character that I thought was cool. So I definitely see the appeal there. But yeah, basically a Sarah Connor for Terminator 2 type who is being chased by these demons she's mortally wounded and dies then she is resurrected by this group called the fallen who are like I don't know if they're the fallen because they're like dead heroes but they are part of this energy that's involved in the creation equation there's this one guy he's like big and buff and he's got a winged helmet he's kind of like this you know warrior and then there's this other gal again the names didn't jump out to me here but she kind of looks like an early Psylocke like before she became the ninja version but she's all in green they resurrect her which is kind of a cool scene and then she is tasked with protecting max so max himself is kind of bland you know he's just his main thing is hey i'm a nice guy and i have an online girlfriend and i deliver pizzas because i'm not very ambitious even though i'm super smart he delivers by the way for a company called fat boy pizza which is spelled p-h-a-t and he wears this like raver cat in a hat style like top hat thing that's like the official uniform it's really strange <laughs> and at one point they're getting chased by these demons and they start throwing pizzas at them and that knocks them down in the streets getting hit by pizza okay but this is the secret sauce for me because this is somehow tied into the full wild storm universe the coda you know zealots group of people are tied into it somehow as well so you kind of jump around to the different factions that are vying for this genesis code and they all want to find max and they all want him to turn to their side for their various reasons but at a certain point john lynch yes that john lynch from gen 13 is called in to get involved because he finds out that this thing called operation divine right that he was in charge of when he was the head of io involved christy and she is there now and she's pissed because apparently they also had some sort of relationship so they're like ex-lovers she shows up she punches him in the face It's very Marion from Indiana Jones, right? It's a a fun dynamic because he shows up with Fairchild from Gen 13 in tow, which of course I was very on board for. She's kind of playing his bodyguard. It's funny. Jim Lee puts her in a Gambit style trench coat, which I thought was kind of hilarious. It's like the guy just loves a trench coat, whether it's Grifter or Gambit and now Fairchild. So it's a fun start to a series with a lot of history behind it, but I felt like it was meted out just a little bit at a time. Each issue just gave you plenty of action and a little bit of the backstory, whereas I felt like a lot of what we were getting out of the Top Cow comics that we were covering was just like, let's pile it on. Let's give you everything we can, everything you want to know about this universe so you understand it and then we'll let the action play out, which was kind of the opposite. So, I think Jim Lee had a good idea on the pacing. And of course, it's Jim Lee and Scott Williams, so it's just solid artwork. Everything is laid out really well. It's very clear what the action is. Now, uh, some of his characters could be very samey, just like his general, like, white guy look is kind of just similar. But overall I felt like each character was distinct even if the names didn't stick with me for, you know, the villains or the fallen. I will say that his dialogue, because he's writing and drawing this book, he doesn't have Brandon Choi writing for him, is okay. Like, it's serviceable and it's not, like, totally cringe inducing, except for the fact that there's a lot of 90s dude speak. Certain attitudes towards things which do not age well in this climate that we're in now so that's the one thing is it's not like a book that you can look back on and say oh you know it's it's that classic hero's journey that you know knows no time. It definitely is still of the late 90s so uh, Jim was trying to tap into a pop culture that maybe was just a little too current for him because he was even referencing stuff that seemed like it was from the late 80s as opposed to the 90s but anyway Divine Right not what? as bad as I've heard. I think just a lot of people said it ultimately goes nowhere and since I haven't read all of it, that might be the case. The setup is fine for me and I was very entertained, at least much more entertained than Box Office Poison. So say what you will, I'm tainted. I need whiz-bang action more than I need true-to-life relationships, but I would definitely read more issues of Divine Right before I read more issues of Box Office Poison. So there we are for Robin Reading Rainbow, who knows what the reaction's gonna be to this one. But hey, let's get into our next segment. It's time to look at the top 10 comics. Alright, so these are the top 10 comics according to Wizard Magazine for July 1997. So they start out with JLA, number one. DC's new JLA series is pretty good in darn near all respects, save one. The title. It ain't called Justice League of America anymore, it's just plain old JLA. And there's no explanation as to what JLA means, except on the occasional cover, but who looks at that? Heck, those letters could stand for anything. Jello lobbyists on acid? leap Leapfrogs in action? Jolly lepers of Armenia? Guess they figure all them long John types on the cover will let people know that it's a superhero book, and plenty swell one at that. And with a high-powered lineup that includes Superman, Batman, and Aquaman, they could call it Crap on a Stick, and it would still sell. (laughs) Number 2 is The Darkness Number 1. About the only thing in America more popular than The Darkness these days is fast food. And the only reason that food rates ahead of The Darkness is that people realize they'll die if they don't eat. Hey, speaking of death, that's what our title character, Mr. Jackie Estacado, specializes in. You see, he started out as a mob enforcer. Now that he's down with The Darkness power, he can summon up little demon guys to fold, spindle, and mutilate whoever he wants, whenever he wants. This little shtick has proven so popular that all three cover versions of The Darkness Number 1 are set. Better than plaid pants at a golf show! And it says that last month it was ranked number four. Number three is Witchblade number one. And then there's Witchblade. According to our latest poll results, the only thing more popular than Witchblade today are the darkness, food, and an ice pair of warm socks when they just come fresh from the dryer. Fans dig the detailed Michael Turner artwork, the heroism of the main character, Sarah Pizzini, and especially the weird relationships that exist between the Witchblade itself and the Darkness Force. And since Witchblade and the Darkness will be crossing over this fall, we'll probably learn a Bit more about that interesting relationship. So it's down one. It was number two the previous month. All right, number four is Dark Child number one. Yeah, it's Dark Child number one here yet again, but at least this time you're seeing a new cover. Why? Well, Dark Child number one came with five different covers, so it makes sense that we change things up and show you something new. Also, Dark Child creator Randy Queen himself offered to dance the Shmegahimi dance. Shmegana. man, Dance the Shmeganheime dance naked through the halls of our office if we showed a different cover. Now, we're not sure what the Schmeg and Jaime dance is, but it sure sounds cool. We'll have pictures next month. And I will tell you that they do. Uh, it is something on their report from the Chicago Comic-Con. So that'll be something to look forward to. What is the Schmeg and Jaime dance from Randy Queen? All right, number five is Body Bags, number one by Jason Pearson. The main characters in Body Bags are named, no kidding, Panda and Clown Face. Aw, ain't that cute? What a panda, funny little clown face. Well, not exactly. This book appears on the list for two reasons. First, no one ordered it in any kind of quantity, so we think there's maybe somewhere around 53 copies floating around. Second, Panda and Face are the kind of hyper-violent characters in the kind of hyper-violent story that appeals to, uh... Hyper violent readers, we guess. This title took everyone by surprise. Last month it was number nine. Now it's number five. I will say this about body bags. It definitely stood out to me on the shelf uh, when I was shopping for comics in 1997. But the reason was when I saw the clown face. I had literally just the year before been sketching around a character with that same design. Big bulky dude with guns and a knife with a smiley face mask on. And I don't know. There seems like that maybe is a common thing to do just the juxtaposition of the violence and the smiley face but when I saw it I was like they ripped off my idea so I did not buy it out of spite <laughs> All right, number six is The Darkness Zero. Don't panic. Your top 10 list is not broken. The heading says The Darkness Number Zero, but this book is really Witchblade Number 10 that you've come to know and love. You see, 25% of the print run of Witchblade Number 10 came with a spiffy Darkness Number Zero alternate cover. And nobody, but nobody ever walks into a store and says, hey, give me a Witchblade Number 10 Darkness variant. They all say, hey, give me a Darkness Number Zero. So that's what we're calling it from now on. That's where it is in the price guide too. Check it out. Last month, it was number eight. Number seven is JLA number two. Forget our analysis of JLA number two. Let's find out what penciler Howard Porter has to say. Take it away, Howie. I like JLA number two because I got paid for it. Also, I like it when it shows up on your top ten. I get to see my name in print. JLA has momentum. It's a runaway bus like that bus in the movie Speed, only it doesn't have Sandra Bullock in it. But we've got Wonder Woman, and she could beat up Sandra Bullock any day. Last month, it was number five. All right, of course, I'm very excited about this development because number eight on the list is Resurrection Man. Man, number one. Oh, Wizard had Resurrection Man fever, it says. And now for something completely different. Resurrection Man is the story of a memory strip drifter named Mitch. He doesn't even know his last name, who has the ability to come back from the dead with a new superpower each time he dies. And he dies a lot. The catch? He never knows what his new power is gonna be, and sometimes never finds out until it's too late. He comes back with a few shards of memory from his past life each time he's resurrected. Trust us, it's mighty good. Alright, number nine is Thunderbolts number zero. Man, them... Th- thunderbolts they sure are some sneaky bastards by the time you get to the end of thunderbolts number one and if you haven't read this book by now you should be slapped you find out that the heroic looking t-bolts are really the badass masters of evil in disguise they say they're here to fill the gap left by the heroes that disappeared in the battle with onslaught but now those heroes are returning gonna be some fireworks in the marvel universe soon bet on it. Last month it wasn't even ranked. And finally, number 10 is Preacher number one. Looks like Preacher leads the comics world in the rudeness most foul category. At various times, Preacher has featured guys getting their ears shut off, a woman getting her hand stabbed into a car dashboard, and a kitty cat getting flushed down the toilet. The really weird thing about all this is that despite occasional over-the-top violence, Preacher ain't just a blood and gut shock book. It's actually one of the best written comics available. That's why Preacher number one is still one of the most sought after back issues today. So there you go, guys. The top 10 comics for July 1997. But we ain't done with the top 10 list now. We got to get over to our top 10 heroes and villains of the month. first up here is Spawn. Once upon a time, Spawny Guy was just a little old comic character. Yeah, he was adored by four-color fanboys everywhere, but that was it. Then along comes TV and movies. All of a sudden, Spawn's an overnight media sensation. Kind of like Jim Carrey, but with hamburger meat for a head. Say what you will about the HBO animated series. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Think what you will about the movie. Maybe you think it's great. Maybe you think it's a big pile of horsey (laughs) hooey. The bottom line is, they've increased Spawn's exposure, oh, by about 53,000 times. Yeah, so spawn definitely in the consciousness. I don't know, do you think it was the movie? Was it the soundtrack? Was it, I think it's gotta be the HBO series. I think that of all the multimedia was the thing that got people's attention. Number two is Wolverine. Holy goosh! Wolverine may be one of the good guys. He may fight the good fight. He may even stand up for truth, justice, in the Canadian way, but he sure got a lot to learn about personal grooming. This guy's in the worst need of a hot shower and some hair conditioner than anyone we've seen this side of David Lee Roth. And he could use a shave while we're at it. What's his deal? Is he afraid to get too close to his razor? You'd think that after taking out the likes of Juggernaut and the Sentinels, Wolvie wouldn't be afraid of men's toiletries, but then again, maybe he is. (laughs) It's a very shaggy Wolverine picture they've selected. All right, number three is Witchblade. That Witchblade, she's one saucy tomato. Actually, she's a lot better than just one saucy tomato. She's like the whole vegetable garden with a little bit of everything growing in it except cabbage, which is pretty darn useless. Heck, If it weren't for coleslaw, cabbage would be outlawed in like 29 states. But we digress. Witchy is the driving force at Top Cow Productions these days, with a brand spanking new TV series deal and even brand spanking newer toy deal under her, uh, her belt, we guess. Does she even wear a belt? Kind of hard to tell under all that Witchblade armor stuff, huh? (laughs) Cabbage. All right, number four is Spider-Man. How unfortunate. For all his heroic career, poor Peter Parker has been rather misunderstood as Spider-Man. Heck, even though he's laying his webbed ass on the line for his fellow man, half the Marvel population still thinks he's some sort of bad. Bad guy. Who is to blame? That radioactive spider that bit him, of course. Nobody likes spiders. We're always squashing them and killing them. Now, if Peter Parker were bitten by a radioactive fluffy bunny and gained the proportionate speed and strength of a bunny, it would be a whole different story. Who couldn't love the amazing bunny man? Number five is Deadpool. The best thing about Deadpool? He proves that your parents were wrong. Your fourth grade teacher, too. And Captain Kangaroo, while we're at it. You see, all these old time sticks in the mud always told you not to be a wise ass because no one likes a smart aleck. Well, Deadpool constantly runs off of the mouth, and he's always ripping on someone. And comic fans just love him. In fact, his popularity seems to grow just about every month. So take that, mom. Deadpool's right. And uh, yeah, that popularity just continued to grow, didn't it? Number six is Batman. If a hero is truly measured by the adversaries he goes up against, then Batman is one heroic bitch. Batman is perhaps more defined by his villains than any other hero, the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler. We know them all. And the pure evilness of these villains points up the heroism personified in Batman. But then you throw in a killer penguins or Joel Schumacher and the whole thing just kind of crashes and goes to hell in a handbag. I mean, they didn't like any of the Batman movies, it feels like. That's too bad. Number 7, The Darkness. If Witchblade is the vegetable garden of Top Cow, then Darkness is the meat and potatoes. Yeah, Jackie Estacato is a real man's man. Rough and tumble, I kill guys for a living hombre. Not the kind of fella you'd want to meet in a dark alley, or a brightly lit alley for that matter, but he does combine with Witchblade, which he will disfall the Darkness and Witchblade as they cross over to make a formidable one-two punch for the cow. Do people call Top Cow the cow? Oh man, I gotta pick up the latest books from the cow. Number Greatest preacher jesse custer's got the life we've already told you he's got the sweetest girlfriend and a drunk irish vampire best friend but we haven't mentioned the best part he's in tight with john wayne the duke himself yeah the duke might be dead but that never stops him from dropping in on jesse with a word of advice now that's the guy to sidekick we like beats the hell out of tossing around some snot-nosed little punk named bucky Number nine is X-Man. X-Man, or Nate Gray as his friends call him, is the original underdog. First, he's not even a real guy. He's a clone. Second, he's not even a clone from this reality. No, he's got to come from one of the many alternate realities that dot the X landscape. Third, his name ain't exactly what you'd call original. It's kind of derived from the X-Men title Marvel publishes. You might be familiar with it. Still, everyone pulls for the underdog, and Nate's no exception. Number ten is Apocalypse. Apocalypse? Apocalypse? yeah apocalypse about time we got some genuine badasses around here and they don't get much better than the big a he's so mean he once ripped angels wings out and replaced him with metal spiky ones and we also hear he's so mean he always leaves the toilet seat up just hoping to get some dopey chick to fall in nah he ain't a nice guy but sometimes baddies can be pretty popular too once again life imitates pro wrestling yeah it does feel like there's not very many villains on the list maybe some anti-heroes but getting apocalypse on there well they I want to point out is you know, when we talked about the top 10 best superhero costumes list that Wizard put out in this issue, we did point out the fact that Hawkeye looks pretty dumb with that H on his head. I've never been a fan of Captain America's A on his head, and Apocalypse has like that A on his belt. Just too many letters in the Marvel universe, weirdly placed letters, even. I could sort of get on board with the Superman shield, because they've justified it as a Kryptonian symbol that means something, but yeah, I don't know. Now, guys, we've heard about the best. Let's get to the worst with our mort of the month. Sorry, sorry. Ooh, I'm I'm a loser, baby. So why don't you kill me. Hey! All right, this month it's Crazy Quilt. Love the suit. Some artsy-fartsy painter named Quilt, one name, just like he was Madonna or something, used paintings to deliver double-secret crime instructions to his gang. One day, a rival gangster and possible art critic popped a cap in Quilt's ass. Instead of killing him, the bullet only blinded Quilt, so Quilt donned a special helmet that allowed him to see only in bright, vivid colors. He committed a series of color-related crimes. Huh? Until he was finally brought to justice by the Boy Commandos? Oh, no. Oh, not those ever rugged boy commandos. So he's a blind guy thrown in the clink by the boy commandos. Instant morthood. <laughs> so there's only two spaces left on the morto meter for Crazy Quilt. So Crazy Quilt is one of those moments in my early comic book reading career where I realized comics could be lame because my friend had a Batman comic where Crazy Quilt was attacking Jason Todd as Robin on the cover. And I was kind of interested in the Jason Todd idea idea but then i saw him getting strangled by crazy quilt and i was just like why does this character exist everything wizard is saying here i'm just like this doesn't make any sense he's blind and then he has the crazy outfit because he doesn't know better like i I don't understand like what the relation was anyway crazy quilt is definitely a dc villain that has always stuck out to me all right let's get to one more segment before we get out of here that's right it's time for a casting call As Ray admitted during the episode, he had not read anything related to Astro City. It was a blank spot for him, so I didn't feel it was necessary to submit him (laughs) to that discussion and say, who should play who? But I, on the other hand, recently have read a lot of Astro City, really enjoyed it, only put it down because I had to read other stuff for the podcast. So let's get into this here. Their first pick for the, you know, Superman archetype, Samaritan in the Astro City universe, they wanted... Richard Gear So Richard Gear I could see 100% they chose him because the alter ego of the Samaritan is like kind of this gray-haired dude who's pretty average but handsome looking so he's got that going for sure What's also interesting is that the Samaritan has blue hair when he's in his you know superhero persona so that would be kind of interesting to see I don't know if you would consider it punk rock or not for Richard Gear to have blue hair but next here the character that was on the top Top 10 greatest costumes list was Jack in the Box, and they wanted Denzel Washington. I don't know that Denzel is right for that role because it says headstrong, fun-loving, and very in-your-face. I think Denzel, at least in his persona on screen, is one of those things. He's headstrong. I don't know that I have considered him fun-loving or very, I mean, in-your-face and that he gets dramatically intense, but eh, I don't know. I, I don't think he would be my pick for Jack in the Box. Truth be told, at this time, I feel like, well, ah, but he doesn't have the smarts. I was going to say Will Smith because he's got the fun-loving and in-your-face, but then he doesn't have, like, the intelligence that needs to be conveyed by the -the Jack-of-the-Box character. Hmm. Oh, you know who it is who would actually be perfect? And he's actually the character I have in my mind uh, when I'm reading Astro City is Joe Morton. Joe Morton from Terminator 2 and a million other movies. Joe Morton is the guy. I mean, he already played the super smart kind of inventor scientist guy in Terminator 2. So yeah, I I would have to go with that. All right, next up on the list here though, for their Wonder Woman archetype, they have Winged Victory and they're choosing Julianne Moore. Now in this picture, she is unrecognizable. Recognizable? that doesn't look like Julianne Moore at all to me, but I 100% think that she would be pretty great in this role because Julianne Moore is awesome all the time. But when I really look at it, I kind of feel like somebody in the vein of Lucy Lawless who was playing Xena Warrior Princess, was playing this warrior, but could also play like kind of the sensitive fun side because she also has an alter ego, but she like kind of got rid of it. She uses it, but she feels more comfortable as Winged Victory as uh, is shown in one of the, uh, very cool issues where she and Samaritan go on a date so I don't know probably Lucy Lawless for me uh, now Cracker Jack uh, is kind of fun cheesy cocky and loved by millions they want David Hasselhoff and yes I mean David Hasselhoff at this time we've been talking about it a lot is playing Nick Fury in the Fox TV movie but I see him way more in this fade where you're just not going to take him seriously fine let that be a strength of the performance next for The Confessor which is you know this dark like vampire priest style character. They want Everett McGill, who is the villain in Under Siege 2, uh, which, just fun fact, I prefer Under Siege 2 to the original. It's so wild and crazy. Now, I, for some reason in my mind, it, it seems it was his stock in trade at this moment in time, but somebody like Malcolm McDowell, maybe it's just because he was so famous for his white hair at that point. It felt like he would be a good fit. Uh, but for Alter Boy, the sidekick of The Confessor, They want Christopher Daniel Barnes, a.k.a. Spider-Man on Spider-Man, the animated series, and Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch movie. I think that's awesome. I would have loved to see him do more live-action stuff. I feel like we missed out on him there. Now, for Dr. Augustus First, part of the First Family, so that's who they've moved into uh, casting here, the Fantastic Four archetypes, uh, they want Dean Jones, who you might recall from all, like, the 60s Disney films, but also he was the evil veterinarian arian and beethoven so yeah i think he would be awesome you know because he's supposed to be just the all-american guy goofy guy especially the throwback to the 60s is awesome for astra they wanted kirsten dunst and yes a young girl who is wise beyond her years that's kirsten dunst at that moment in time for sure for natalie first who is the mother they want renee russo who was that kind of sexy maternal figure right which is what the sue storm stand-in should be so again i think that works out just fine Nick first, they want Tony Goldwyn because they say he's got to switch from villain to hero and he's Natalie's twin brother, so I kind of like that because we know in Ghost he was a a super bad guy. Quarrel who is, she's a legacy hero as I remember, like she takes over from her dad's persona if I'm remembering correct. They want Winona Ryder and yeah, I, I think Winona Ryder would be very fun, if not Winona Ryder, just because of the style of the outfit and what she would soon be doing in The Matrix. Carrie Ann Moss was young enough at that time that I think she could have come in with some attitude uh, and made it work. For Julius First, who is like the he was kind of the tough guy, I guess you would say. They want Ed Asner, sure. Now, for Mr. Bridwell, which is not a character I remember, and he's some sort of like informant I guess. I don't, I don't know. He's not ringing a bell to me, but they want Eli Wallach who they say was in The Godfather Part 3. Okay, fine. That's a weird Weird one to go out on when there's so many other characters. Like I would have cast Steel Jack before this guy at the end here and because you going back to the terminator 2 thing you could totally use that technology and especially by 1997 it was six years old but to have him be totally metallic like that as far as an actor to play steel jack it's weird to me and he wasn't as young as he used to be because when i look at him i'm like well george kennedy but i'm thinking like george kennedy in cool hand luke not george kennedy in the naked gun movies so <laughs> who else is a guy who's kind of older but built at that moment in? Time. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you have a suggestion for me. But hey, there you go. That's the wizard casting call for Astro City. We'd love to get your take. Those of you who are fans out there, who you want to play who. But that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. A good episode. We're so glad to be kind of getting back into the saddle again. Speaking of which, Michael was supposed to be on episode 73. Something came up, but we have already recorded episode 74, and we have a great reunion guys uh we lots of laughs lots of fun some exciting just news and discussion points in that issue so definitely look forward to that next week of course if you want all the latest news you know where to find us on twitter at wizards comics on instagram at wizards underscore comics are you subscribed to the youtube channel you don't want to miss all the content that we have over there for you do you want to take it to the next level do you want to really get inside the world of wizards the podcast guide to comics head on over to patreon.com forward slash Wizards comics, where you get a full scan of the issues we are going to be talking about. You get advanced copies of the episodes, uncut, unfiltered, with tons of extra conversation. We definitely streamline these episodes, as I've mentioned, so that's a great place to get more for your buck. Hey, it's $5 a month, there's so many perks, lots of exclusive content as well over there. Of course, we also have our Heroes in Motion tier, where for just $2 more a month, you're able to get a bonus podcast, our 90 Super Cinema Podcast where we've already discussed such films as The Phantom Batman Forever Spawn from 1997 and now we're getting ready to cover some more comedic superhero classics and of course you get all the perks of our $5 level as well so we want to stay connected with you we appreciate you supporting the podcast continue to spread the word tell your friends if you're able to give us a 5 star review and leave some nice words on Apple Podcasts that just helps the podcast to grow and thank you so much for sharing and retweeting and everything you do telling your friends about the podcast it really has made a difference and we're so excited about how our podcast is growing and entertaining more and more of our fellow geeks out there but hey until next time keep your books bagged and boarded